to another edition of Streaming Water Podcast. I'm your host, Blair Corning, and this is the podcast about all things water and wastewater. Uh, this podcast is sponsored, co-sponsored by the Rocky Mountain Water Environment Association and the Colorado Wastewater Utility Council. So we, I thank them for their sponsorship. Today, we were, we're going to talk collection systems, and we have, uh, we have a great, uh, very knowledgeable guest on today's show to do that with us. Uh, today, we have Sheila Rethamel from the City of Westminster. She's the wastewater collections superintendent there. And so I know this is a topic that, uh, that doesn't get a lot of press. It doesn't uh, get a lot of glamour, but there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the field. So I'm glad that we have you on today, Sheila. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Blair. It's great to be here. Sheila, can you give us uh, or tell me a little bit about your background? I've known you for a while, but I, I'm not even uh, familiar with your background and, and how you got in the business and what you do. Sure. So um, I graduated from the University of Wyoming in uh, civil engineering and got into the consulting business um, here in Denver and did that for 17 years at various companies doing the planning uh, designing and construction of water and uh, wastewater facilities, mostly piping and pumping stations. Um, and then about six years ago, um, I took a, a job at the city of Westminster and uh, a year after that became the collections superintendent. So I've been with the city now for, for six years. And uh, uh, as some folks like to say, I'm, I'm a recovering engineer. Uh, I use it a lot in my, my, uh, day-to-day work, but mostly focused on operations and maintenance of the, the utilities there at the city. Nice. What uh, what caused you to make that jump from the the consulting world to the, the municipal world? You know, I actually wasn't a very good marketer. I, <laughs> I tell that to folks a lot. I And I actually really didn't like doing the design calculations more than once. Um, you know, I, I had troubles with those iterative designs and, and doing them multiple times. Um, so I, I liked managing people and I really liked um, kind of managing um, the program of maintenance. So when this position came up as the superintendent, um, it kind of hit all the things that I'd been looking for in my dream job. Um, I didn't have to sell myself. I could manage big programs. I could get to know a, a team and, and really, you know, build them and, and make them into the most, um, the best part of who they were um, as, as team members. And so that was uh, really exciting. And at the time, um, the collection system that the city needed, uh, you know, a good leader. And I was um, hopeful that I could fill that role. So Nice. Yeah, it uh, sounds like you you found where you need to be. It makes work easier when you're, you're working at your dream job. Like you say, you know, it's, uh, it makes everything easier. So good. Well, what do you do for uh, hobbies when you're not uh, working collection systems? What, what do you do on uh, your days off? Well, a lot of times I'll do some sewing. Um, in the summertime, we try to do a lot of camping or travel. Um, you know, last year we had plans to go to the Philippines and Tahiti and that all got, um, postponed so you know we're, we're patiently waiting until the time when we can when travel a little more um beyond our, our local borders and, and the neighboring states so um just kind of getting out and exploring the world and, and meeting other people and seeing um you know how things are in other parts of the the, the universe yeah that sounds like a, an exciting trip i have a feeling with the covid there's going to be this window where 
where flights are cheap, but things are open and it's going to be a short window. So maybe hopefully you can tap into that for airline tickets, you know? Yeah, that would be nice. I just don't want to get stuck over there and, and uh, not be able to come back for a while. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, now it's time for the interesting question, Sila. Uh, what are two things that are terrible when separate, but great when you put them together? So, you know, when I read that immediately, I went to food <laughs> and I don't know why. And I asked my family what they thought were their thoughts were. And they said, well, was it specifically about food? It's like, I don't know. That's just where I went. So um, <laughs> they didn't give me anything better than what I kind of threw out there. But the two things I thought of were salt and vinegar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I, uh, I went to food also when I thought of this question. Mine was celery and peanut butter. Those like celery is worthless on its own, in my opinion, but you throw some peanut butter in there. But yeah, salt and vinegar, that's a good one too. Or you could also do like garlic and olive oil. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, these do bring uh, food to mind here. Now you're making me hungry. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into some more, uh, more focused uh, collection system questions here. Uh, can you just take us through, describe a, a wastewater collection system uh, for us and tell us maybe some things that the average Joe wouldn't, uh, wouldn't know about the collection system. The average Joe or Jane, I'm trying to be gender uh, neutral here. So the, the collection system is really that utility piping that's um, buried in the ground and it collects all the, the used water from um, buildings. So homes, commercial buildings, restaurants, um, even facilities that are manufacturing or um, like the brewery, the Coors Brewery has waste that goes to a, a utility. Um, that water often gets comes from the showers or your dishwashers or tubs or washing machines, but they can also come from cooling towers. And so there's um, a lot of flows that come together and get combined and commingled before they go to the plant. So all of the, the water that's used then gets transferred to um, a treatment facility. And so my uh, area of responsibility is really um, once it leaves your service line until it gets to the headworks at the treatment plant. And so one thing that the average person may not know is that your toilet really is not a trash can. And that's a huge can be a really huge problem, particularly for a small collection system. So if you think about it, um, you know, when you flush something down the toilet, it's pretty magical because it was there one minute and the next it's gone. But, you know, like when your, your children are, are looking at that and they're thinking, oh, where, where's my toy going to go? You know, at the other end, somebody's got to take it out of the collection system and take it out before it goes through the, the headworks. So um, that's that's a big um, deal in, in our industry. And, and there's a lot of campaigns out there that um, are talking about that. And even things as simple as a tissue really is not meant to go down your toilet because um, if you think about it, tissues are meant to be absorbent. They're not really supposed to fall apart when you use them. So now if you think about this pretty strong fibrous material that gets flushed down your toilet, um, that's just gonna end up in this big wad somewhere, probably in a pump, that somebody has to take care of um, or perhaps in your your service line and it's going to cause a backup somewhere. Have you uh, experienced issues with that as far? I mean, I've heard of these giant fat bergs of, of 
you know, materials and grease and, and stuff. Have you seen that in, in your collection systems or your lift stations there? Well, we actually have uh, one lift station that for some reason, and I, I still don't know how this happens, but uh, a 2XL t-shirt um, we pulled out of the, the pump um, one day. Um, so it's, it, you see it a lot. And I think for, for me, we probably see less of that than um, other utilities. I know some utilities see rags and mop heads, um, just an assortment of things that go through the, the collection system. And you just wonder, how did that get in there? It's amazing uh, the stuff that gets in there and it can't be, a lot of it can't be coming from toilets. You wonder how, it, how does a mop get in there, you know, but, uh, or a, or a t-shirt, but so these collection systems are different from, from distribution systems in that they're gravity fed. Is that right? So are they more complicated because of that to, to operate? Well, I think they're more complicated because they can have both. Um, a lot of times your, your distribution system is pumped um, to get it to your house because you take it from a low point. So you take it from a river or the aquifer that's below ground and you pump it up to get to the, the homes and, and the places that, that need to use that water. Um, you might even put it in a tank. So that gives you some pressure. The collection system really is meant to go by gravity, but um, given the terrain, like particularly around here where we have hills and valleys all over the place, it can make it difficult to go completely by gravity. So a lot of systems um, in this area and even out in the plains have lift stations, which are basically pump stations for sewage. And so now you also have a pressurized sewage. And sewage under pressure is, is not always a great thing if that f- pipe fails. Yeah, it's, I guess, rarely a, a great thing unless it's in that pipe when it should be. Huh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. I know there's a lot of cool gadgets, you know, a lot of uh, uh, cool things used in the system, which I think always amazes me and, and others when they say, can you talk to us about the technology that's involved in the management and maintenance of, of collection systems a little bit? Sure. And I think that's one of the cool parts about wastewater. If, if uh, you know, I can be so bold as to say that um, the, the equipment that my guys use day to day is, is very sophisticated. Um, they use closed circuit TV cameras. So they actually send a, a camera down on a cable and collect video um, of all of our piping. Um, we have also a um, um, basically a hose that, that, um, pushes high pressure water through the system to clean anything that's um, kind of left there because uh, when water, when the sewage slows down, um, things fall out of suspension and that's what um, needs to be cleaned, cleaned periodically to make sure that, um, you know, you don't have um, smell and odor buildup. Um, you can also go in there and cut out roots. So another thing that people may be surprised is that um, tree roots seem to love sewer systems. And so there's a lot of um, places where we have to actually cut out roots from a tree and clean it out, out of the system so to prevent um, backups into people's homes or into the out onto the street. Um, the city a few years ago bought a uh, robotic cutter, which is basically a, a camera with a, a spinning head, like a drill head, almost like a Dremel tool. And we can cut out calcium deposits um, we had a, a subdivision that had quite a few deposits in there to where you couldn't even get the camera through the pipe. And so we bought this this cutter 
to go in there and clean that out. And now we're going to uh, line it with a new plastic liner, um, which will basically restore it to almost brand new. Um, so that's that's pretty fun. And, and what's kind of cool, and I never realized this, but the, the controllers for those cameras look a lot like your PlayStation controllers. I mean, you can get a joystick, but you also have this other style. So, um, you know, that's kind of fun tech that you wouldn't expect to see uh, in a typical utility system. Yeah, maybe I can get my son interested in this uh, This as a career. He's got a joystick, I think, permanently affixed to his hands there. So I think he could run the uh, he could run the cutter, I bet you. Well, yeah, you do have to be a little careful. You don't really want any sparks in the collection system, but um, it is neat to watch them do that. And uh, it takes, it does take a lot of patience too, because it's slow cutting that, that calcium out. Yeah. Well, thanks, Sila. I want to get to the uh, mid-show segment now. For this week's mid-show segment, it's in the news. And so this is a uh, article. This is an incident. You probably heard of it uh, that just happened. This article is from Jeff Pegas from CBS News, February 9th, 2021. But it says, Fed's tracking down hacker who tried to poison Florida Town's water supply. So I'll read a little bit from this article because this was kind of a kind of a scary eye-opening deal, you know, but uh, a shocking case of computer hacking has been uncovered in Pinellas County, Florida. Federal investigators are trying to hunt down the person who tried to poison a public water supply remotely. Investigators say a plant operator monitoring the water plant in the Tampa Bay city of Oldsmar noticed breaches starting Friday morning. The hacker was controlling the computer system's mouse, opening various functions on the screen and changing the sodium hydroxide in the water supply from about 100 parts per million to more than 11,100 parts per million. This is obviously a significant and potentially dangerous increase, Pinellas County Sheriff Bob Galtieri said. Sodium hydroxide, also known as lye, is the main ingredient in liquid drain cleaners. Um, Fortunately, inside the water treatment plant, the plant operator immediately reduced the levels back to what is safe. Now Secret Service and FBI cyber units are trying to determine who is behind the hack and whether it was someone in the U.S. or overseas. It occurred just two days before the Super Bowl in a city about 30 miles away from Raymond James Stadium. So, yeah, did you, had you heard about the uh, the hack in Florida, Sheila? Yes. Yep, we sure did. Yeah, that's a scary deal. Everything's, you know, getting more computerized, more remote access, especially during COVID. And uh, I guess that opens up more opportunities for for intrusion by these bad actors. So, um. yeah, you know, those types of, of uh, risks that are out there, um, all utilities really should be looking at and considering. And, um, you know, it can happen internal or external. So, um, know, knowing your folks, knowing your systems, um, that's a, a big part of, um, you know, kind of protecting yourself so that you can then protect the public health and safety. Yeah, I'm glad this system had a, you know, it speaks to the value of having a good operator who, who's knowledgeable and, and can detect, you know, sounds like they picked it up pretty quick, which, uh, you know, these systems, they're automated, but they can't run themselves. At the end of the day, you need someone with knowledge and, and skills to run them. So I'm glad they had that. All right, let's get into uh, some more questions. And speaking of technology and data and, and everything being automated, can you talk to a little bit about 
what kind of data is used in the management of collection systems and how data uh, is involved in the process? Sure. So, so pretty much everything that we do relies on, on data of some form. Um, you know, the, the basic layout of the collection system um, is given to us by the, the people who design and construct uh, our facilities for us. Um, the city doesn't really do that uh, itself. So we will get as built and at some point during the construction, we will go through and, and GPS um, all the points of interest to us. For the collection system, that's really the um, manholes. Um, if we have a force main, if there's any bends in that force main, we would want to um, identify those. Uh, we also identify where we have drop manholes or very, very deep manholes because that makes it a little more difficult to, to clean and jet and do our routine maintenance. Um, so, so that's just basic data that we've transferred from paper copy um, to electronic. Um, anymore, we get that electronically. So we just um, try to um, merge it into our existing uh, uh, database that we, we use to store all of the, the information for our assets. Um, then with those TV cameras, what we will do is every three to five years is inspect um, all of those man, uh, manholes and um, piping. So we'll take video and we'll actually record if certain pipe has um, a, a defect, you know, maybe there's a hairline crack or maybe there's a, a sag in the pipe where, um, you know, water uh, will slow down and, and then sludge collects. Um, where the roots start to go and, and older, older parts of our system, we'll start to identify that. And what that really does is help inform us of um, when that pipe needs to be repaired or um, if it's a manhole, you know, we may have to replace the the base uh, inside or the ring and cover if it gets damaged uh, during a snow event or, you know, just wear and tear from, from vehicles and that. So all of that information we keep and some of that we are actually required to keep forever for the life of the system. And so, as you can imagine, um, the city's over a hundred years old. So we have a lot of information and I have over 400 miles of pipe. So that's a lot of data to collect and store. And that doesn't even include things like our work orders and service requests. Yeah, I, I can imagine how much, you know, the systems involved in that. I was looking through my pictures on my iPhone <clears throat> and uh, just organizing those or going through those for a couple of years is, is, is big. So I can, you know, I can, that's totally different, but I can imagine, I mean, when you want to record videos and assessments, on that big of a system for that long of a time, you got to have a good way to do it, I imagine. Yep. And, you know, we right now our videos are just, um, they're good quality, but they're not high definition. And the technology that's available now is for you to do basically LIDAR scanning. So that's where you scan um, all of the information and there's like a, a data cloud of information that you can store. And so um, we are starting to prepare for that type of, of data retrieval, but um, yeah, it, it gets to be a lot. And, and I think these days, you know, we used to talk, oh gosh, even five, 10 years ago about big data. And that's really, um, it's just a normal now to have that much data and, and how you manage it is really, really important because as you can imagine, after a hundred years of operating a system, what data is still relevant? Was that pipe replaced? Um, was a repair made? 
is this survey information still useful? These GPS points still useful? So there's there's kind of a, I would say, an emerging um, group or or work group uh, that the city's looking at that's really um, managing all of our data. Nice. Yeah, it probably. Uh, have you noticed it requires a a change in the workforce or the, the way you hire or, or train employees? Well, what we ended up doing was hiring a um, an asset infrastructure asset management coordinator, and uh, she was really intended to kind of manage our GIS and our um, CityWorks uh, software, which is the asset management software. So it it collects the service request, it collects the the work orders and inspections we've done. But her background. Um, which is is far more robust than um, kind of even what I knew of the industry was that as you collect that GIS data, as you collect that asset data, you've got to manage it because it's just going to become unbearable. And how do you manage it in a way that is user friendly to the operators? And so it was really her understanding of of GIS and how it works with the the how the operators work with that GIS and data that got us moving down this, this path of more of a data management team than just, you know, managing our assets. Yeah, we are, uh, we're experiencing the same thing here where I work, where data, you know, if you don't manage it, 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 it manages you. So <laughs> you got to have the right people in place and the right systems, which is a, is a complex deal. Well, I think another thing I wanted to ask you, Sila, I know you through uh, many different areas, but one of them is the Operator Certification uh, Board, the Water and Wastewater Facility Operator Certification Board that handles uh, operator licensing and uh, certification. Can you uh, talk to us a little bit about how you got involved in that and, and your role on that board? Sure. So, um you know, when I got out of college, I, I volunteered with some of the professional groups, which uh, are from our American Waterworks Association and Water Environment Foundation. And so I spent a lot of my consulting years um, volunteering for that, getting training from those types of activities. And uh, what I never really understood was the how the operators are certified, how they get their you know, the requirements that they have to meet, their training, what education do they need in that. And so when I came to the city, um, the, the utility operations manager and the, the water distribution superintendent uh, very much promoted operator certification. They wanted their operators to have that Colorado water professional title because um, they are professionals. All operators are professionals and we have a high level of responsibility when it comes to protecting um, our citizens that use the water that we provide them or that we take the water away and, and treat it properly. So through that group and through the Rocky Mountain Water Environment Association, I had um, heard about the certification board and um, got to asking around. Um, they went through a big change a few years ago where they went from um, basically a paper world to a digital world. And it was a huge project. And it just, it sounded a lot like what we were going through with our implementation of CityWorks. And so I was very curious um, how they um, selected the software, how they were, you know, integrating that into the, the test taking cycle. And it, it just sounded like kind of a fun time to be a part of, of this, you know, regulatory group that's, you know, 
basically reshaping how operators um, are certified in the state. And as it turns out, they had a uh, an opening where they needed a distribution or collection class four certified operator, which that's, I hold both of those licenses. So I, I put my name in the hat to see if maybe they needed some help. And, and it turned out they, they did. And it's been pretty fun so far. So, um, but lots, lots more understanding of of really the regulatory side and, and, you know, the requirements the state is um, expected to do through the uh, Environmental Protection Agency. I'm glad you got on there because it's been uh, a pleasure working with you on that board. So uh, thanks for volunteering to, to do that. Final question here, Sheila, before we get to our big end of the show quiz, I don't know if you knew about that, but uh, uh, final question, where do you see the industry going in the next, you know, five, 10, 20 years, what, what do you see for the future of, of wastewater collection systems or, or utilities, you know, in general? So, you know, I, it's, it's actually pretty exciting. So when I was in engineering, um, you know, I got to be pretty routine. We, you know, you do drawings, you do designs, you put it in the ground, you go to the next one. And, and now this opportunity here at, at Westminster has allowed me to really think much more beyond um, the next few years. I mean, the programs we're instilling right now um, need to survive not only my career, but the next superintendent and the superintendent after that. So that's pretty fun to think about how do you shape a program in a way that can survive, you know, years of, of operations and maintenance. And, and I think in those years, we're going to see a massive of amount of technology and innovations that that really change how we um, get to the pipes. I'm not sure that we would have as much, um, you know, involvement in in confined space entries. I think we could probably do a lot of that with uh, robotic technology. Um, you know, what'd be really cool too is like if they had a, a Roomba for the pipe, right? So instead of, of sending a jetter down the Roomba, you just tell the Roomba to leave from here and it'll go out into the system and clean it. So I, you know, there's a lot of technology that we see in our day-to-day lives that hasn't really touched the utility side of it. And I see those types of breakthroughs coming out in, you know, maybe even the next five to 10 years. Nice. Yeah. A sewer Roomba. That would be, I like that. Yeah. You tell it, start on Elm Street and finish up at the, uh, at the furthest reach of the system and let it do its thing. I like it. I think though, the thing though with that is, is a lot of times that could scare or make some people say, well, then why do we need operators to do that? But I see the future operator of, of collection systems being um, very tech savvy. I see them being a a highly skilled um, person that they can not only understand the operations and maintenance of the system, but how that, that uh, data is getting collected, how it's getting managed, you know, maybe even being able to, um, you know, troubleshoot some of the, the mobile solutions we have and, and, and understanding the workflow of how that gets then put into our, our asset management system. So um, I see there being a big push for um, folks to really understand the really big picture instead of I'm just going to TV from this manhole to this manhole. Yeah, and you're always going to need somebody to, to chase down that Roomba and fix it when, uh, when it has issues. So, yeah, I don't think, uh, I think a lot of times we associate robotics or, or this new technology is, 
as exclusive, you know, it's either one or the other, but I think you're going to need both just like in that Florida instance. I mean, they, it was an operator ultimately in the facility that, that saved the day there, not technology. So I agree with you there. All right. See the, well, this has been great. Are you ready for the end of show quiz? As ready as I'll ever be. That's, that's what most people say. Yeah. All right. Well, this is a specially designed collections quiz for you. I know you're uh, an expert in collections, so this should be pretty simple for you. But let's let's see. This is three questions. First question. This museum in Osaka, Japan, houses a collection of different varieties of what invention of Momofuku Ando? Houses a collection of different varieties of what invention of Momofuku Ando? I thought I, I thought oh, yeah. multiple choice. Oh, yeah, I give you multiple <laughs> choice. Uh, so if, you, if you don't need it, I mean, you can just answer it. The choices are A, samurai swords, B, sushi, C, ramen noodles, or D, fans. I'm going to say fans. You're going to say D, fans? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. It is C, ramen noodles. It is the <gasps> Instant Ramen Museum in uh, Osaka, Japan. And I guess that Momofuku is the guy who invented the cup of noodles, uh, you know, instant ramen that a lot of us ate during college. That's funny because I really love ramen and I really love going to the Oriental stores and finding different styles of ramen because they just have such a different flavor than ours do. Yeah, you love this museum then. If you get to uh, Osaka, Japan, check it out. All right, question number two. Mike Zarnock, an auto mechanics teacher in Utica, New York. Is it Utica or Utica? Do you know? I don't mean, okay, we'll say Utica. I think that's what it is. New York holds a Guinness World Record for the largest collection of what Mattel toy? Currently 30,000. Your choices are A, Hot Wheels cars, B, Fisher Price Little People, C, Barbie dolls, or D, Star Wars figures. What uh, does Mike Zarnock collect and have 30,000 of? I'm going to say Hot Wheel cars. Hot Wheel cars, A is your answer? Locking mm-hmm. it in? Yeah. Okay. That is correct. Hot Wheels cars. You're one for two. You could, uh, you could be on the positive side with this last question. What type? Of collection would you likely find at the home of a philuminist p-h-i-l-l-u-m-e-n-i-s-t a philuminist is it a postcards b matchbooks c coins or d beer coasters a philuminist i'm gonna say postcards gonna say postcards yeah i'm sorry a postcard that is a deltiologist a voluminist actually collects matchbooks or uh, matchboxes. So oh, wow. that's all right. That's all right. I'm glad you're an expert in wastewater collection systems. It doesn't mean you have to be an expert in, in all collections, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not going to have to switch my day job now. I got to stay in, <laughs> in wastewater. I know that's <laughs> a little more. <laughs> there actually is a beer coaster. There's a name for a person who collects beer coasters and beer mats it is a tegastologist which was news to me but uh yeah a tegastologist 
anyway, thanks for being on, Sila. It has uh, been great and uh, interesting learning about the world of wastewater collection systems with you, and, and I appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us today. You bet. Thank you so much for asking me, Blair. Sure. And uh, to the listeners, if you have any ideas for show topics or ideas of, of guests that would like to be on, shoot me an email at streamingwater at mail.com. Again, I'd like to thank the RMWA and Wastewater Utility Council for their sponsorship of the show. And to our listeners, if you like the show, we ask that you tell a friend and or a colleague and, and let them know about it. So maybe we can pick up some listeners that way. And uh, also, we'd appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or, or your whatever podcast player you're listening on if you like the show. If you don't like the show, don't give us a one-star because that'll, that'll bring down the rating. But uh, yeah, we, we'd love to have reviews. And thanks for listening. Uh, it's, it's great having all the listeners out there and, and hearing from you from time to time. Uh, so thanks again, Sila. And we'll see you next time on the Streaming Water Podcast. See ya.